0: You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself, Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
1: If you haven't figured it out by now, beyond politics, beyond my love, my obsession of politics, I have a great love of music. Maybe it comes out in the intros to the show. Maybe it comes out in the fact that before we had intros to the show, I was playing just music that moved me on a regular basis. Earlier today, I was sitting in for Rob Snow. Bill Carroll was out sick, so Rob was in on the morning show. And we got the news that George Martin, the producer of so much of the Beatles' work, if not all of it, I, I don't actually know, but so much of it, that he had died. I, I found out on the Twitter machine. I just happened to log in and I saw George Martin was trending in Canada. I thought, what? Obviously, I hadn't seen the headlines yet. And then I I was able to see what was going on. George Martin had died in his sleep at 90. You don't have to be of the Beatles' generation to appreciate the music and appreciate the work that this man did. And we can keep that rolling. Keep that rolling under me if you can. Uh, This was a man who took four rough and scrabble guys from Liverpool and gave them a sound. Reading the obituary that's running in the Los Angeles Times, Martin said that when he, you know, the band had been turned down by every record company in London, and he wasn't bowled over by the demo tapes. But he said, there was an unusual quality of sound, a certain roughness that I hadn't encountered before. Something tangible that made me want to hear more, meet them, and see what they could do. We just played Day in a Life, and that, you know, that, that song, that, the melody, it's, it's haunting at times. He helped the band move from their earlier work towards that. They worked with him, but he moved it. And find me a musical artist today in the pop scheme, in the rock scheme, that has not been touched in some ways by the Beatles. I was born in 1971, about a year after the Beatles broke up. They've influenced all of my musical taste, all of it. Now, it helps that my parents were big Beatles fans. My uh, my parents came to Canada from Scotland in 1968. Beatles were well-established worldwide by then. My stepfather came to Canada from Scotland in 1962. He came before the Beatles had been on Ed Sullivan. He showed up with records of this group that his classmates at school, he, you know he arrived and he went into high school, and he's talking about this band that he had records of, and, and people had never heard of them. I'm born in 71, a year after they break up, and my early years, I thought they were new music. By the time I figured out they weren't, I didn't care. I thought they were the best music. But this is a group that started from just simple simple songs about loving a girl, living life, three chords in the truth, to something more complex. I mean, think about where they started with Hard Day's Night.
2: It's been a hard day's night And I've been working like a dog It's been a hard day's night I should be sleeping like a love. But when I get home to you I find the things that you do Will make me feel alright
1: Simple, you know I pure, fun, rock and roll That was the Beatles baby? in the early days and George Martin helped them craft their sound, helped them become more professional, and helped them, as I said, move along. So we've lost a, 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 a great artist today. I know when uh, Rene Angélil died, the husband, late husband of Celine Dion, a friend of mine, leaving tonight for Las Vegas, by the way, to go and see Celine Dion. Um, and they'd waited until they found out that Renee had passed away because they didn't want to buy tickets. They, they knew he was ill, didn't want to buy tickets and find out the concert was canceled because of something that everyone would understand. But George Martin, we've lost a musical giant. So just I'm taking a few minutes to, to pay tribute to play some of my favorite music. Maybe later today in the show, we'll open up the phone lines and as part of the The feedback section ask you about your favorite Beatles songs, your favorite Beatle moments. Or tell me why I'm all wrong that the Beatles are just awful. I've got friends that think that. Uh, You know, they prefer the Rolling Stones or they prefer Led Zeppelin or The Who or they don't like any of the British Invasion acts or what have you. But listen to this, the simplicity of this music. We're going to fade that out and then look at what they went to. From Hard Day's Night, off they went, and they developed a sound. I mean, they they heard pet sounds by the Beach Boys and decided that they needed to top it, and they came out with Sgt. Pepper. But their music moved along to the point where Eleanor Rigby became part of pop music, became part of rock and roll music. That was not the rock and roll music of 10, 15 years earlier. I look at all the lovely people
2: I look at all the lovely people Eleanor Rigby Picks up the rice in the church where a wedding has been Lives a dream Waits at the window, wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door. Who is it for all the lonely people? Where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? Father Mackenzie, writing
1: the words of a sermon
2: that no one will hear.
1: that paved the way for a whole different vision of what pop music was of what rock and roll was and george martin although he wasn't part of the group he keeps me called the fifth beetle i don't like that term because to me that's Stuart sutcliffe the former bassist of the band before paul mccartney flipped the bass upside down started playing it upside down because he's left-handed Stuart Sutcliffe was the Beatles' bassist, played with them all through Hamburg. So, to me, that he is always the fifth Beatle. But George Martin was such a part of this group. Again, from the obituary in the LA Times, it's a story I've heard before, but let me just read to you from it. So, as John Lennon is looking to push the envelope, and he's doing Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite, and if you know that song, it's, it's pretty psychedelic. I'm going to guess there were some... Um, influencers on his uh, mental state at the time. So he wanted a swirling circus feel on being for the benefit of Mr. Kite, and Martin, who was a traditionally trained producer of the old school, ended up getting a snip of tape of a Victorian steam organ and the music from that, and he cut it into footlong pieces, threw them on the air, and then reassemb- reassembled them randomly to give Lennon the, the music the feel he was looking for. That's what he did. Nobody was doing things like that. It, it changed the way music was done completely at a time when technology, the technology we take for granted now, wouldn't allow it. George Martin was the one that put in the strains behind the song you heard there. Would you have heard strains quite like that? Even everything like Johnny Cash and the, the Mexican horns that play behind him in "Ring of Fire. Would that have happened without the influence of someone like George Martin bringing all of this different types of music into rock and roll, into pop music, into the normal consciousness of the world? Probably not. George Martin passed away in London in his sleep today at the age of 90. Rest in peace, Mr. Martin. Let's go out with a little bit of a day in the life. When we come back, we'll get into some news headlines. We'll get into politics. Don't worry. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. But right now, a little bit of an extended tribute to the man that helped make the Beatles who they were.
0: with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
1: I've got my Zippo lighter in front of me and my last Corona cigar that I picked up visiting my mother in Florida a little while ago. Do you know that Tampa has a huge Cuban area? More than 100 years old, this Cuban neighborhood in Tampa. And while they can't get Cuban cigars there, they make them the old way. I'm, I'm, I'm staring at these two things and thinking, that might be my after-show reward after doing seven hours of radio today. Nice little cigar and a stroll through the Byward market. We'll see. You get news at the top and bottom of every hour. But you don't necessarily get all the stories because there's a limited amount of time. So I'm trying to find stories that are interesting and important to bring them to you, especially stories of a national um, importance. Or maybe it's not a national story, maybe it's a regional one, but it's got something that, that we can learn from. You know that the Alberta, the people of Alberta, made a big mistake last year. They hired the NDP to run the province. They gave Rachel Notley a majority government. Rachel Notley and the NDP have never been in power in Alberta. And it shows. Much like Bob Ray. One of Bob Ray's problems is not that Bob Ray was incompetent. He had a government. He had a cabinet that didn't know what they were doing. It was filled with rookies. Well, the Notley government in Alberta is taking a province that is in a bad position due to the price of oil and making it worse. We've got The Alberta government hiring, they've got a lot of contracts coming up. The reason I'm bringing you this story is because this is a warning about hiring progressive governments, right? The only sector of the economy where unions reign supreme, the public sector. You hire a very progressive government. You hire a very left-wing government. They're going to give the public sector unions whatever they want. So Alberta's opposition Wild Rose Party is busy taking Premier Rachel Notley to task. Why? She hired, as her top union negotiator, a senior negotiator for the province's largest public sector union. That's right. She hired a former union negotiator to negotiate with the unions. Why not just open up the piggy bank and say, here, anyways, Derek Philbrand is the finance critic for the Wild Rose, the opposition party, the party that should have won the last election. And he's out there blowing the whistle, calling it a bad deal, given the longstanding ties between the NDP and unions.
3: The government has hired uh, one of AUPE's chief negotiators to now negotiate for taxpayers back against AUPE. Uh, This is little better than hiring the fox to guard the hen house
1: guy's name is Kevin Davidiak, and he was with the Alberta Union of Provincial Employees until this week. Now he's going, he's going to turn around from being the guy that tries to get all the money for them to be the guy that says, oh, sorry, we don't have it. No, they're going to get everything. Alberta will go bankrupt. I had friends that left Canada about 18 months ago or more to move to Alberta because they saw it as a a land of opportunity, and now, now, beyond the price of oil, the provincial government is helping kill the province. A warning about hiring progressive governments. Next story. Neighboring Saskatchewan just kicked off an election, and they have a choice. They don't have a Liberal Party or Conservative Party anymore in the province of Saskatchewan. You've got the Saskatchewan Party, which is a coalition of free enterprise-minded people, Or you've got the NDP hordes. And notice I had a D in there, the NDP hordes. Those of you that follow politics very closely will know what I'm talking about. Anyway, Brad Wall is the leader of the Saskatchewan Party. He's the premier of the province, the only conservative-minded premier left. And he's out there trying to say that the Saskatchewan Party, the Saskatchewan Party government, was actually good. They cut the, the education property tax on farmland. They improved municipal revenue sharing and they need to be re-elected.
4: It's not about appealing to the rural base. It's about that we've still got work to do. Uh, You know, we've made record investments in highways and in rural infrastructure, but they'd be the first to tell you, and it's true in urban Saskatchewan as well, that there is a a huge uh, demand and need for more infrastructure.
1: All right. The people of Saskatchewan would be wise to look next door to Alberta and see what's happening. And the people of Ontario would be wise to look and see what's happening in Alberta or, you know, anytime you want, just look at Quebec. Progressive governments create messes, if you haven't figured that out from Ontario. Meanwhile, down in the United States, well, progressive governments, Hillary Clinton, she won big in Mississippi but lost to Bernie Sanders. There's a hitch to her getting the Democratic nomination and helping to continue ruining the United States, and that is that there's an email investigation, but U.S. Attorney General uh, Loretta Lynch says she won't discuss an offer of immunity given to a former State Department staffer who set up Clinton's private email server. Lynch told the Senate Judiciary Committee today that she was unable to confirm reports the Justice Department had offered immunity to the former staffer named Brian Pagliano.
5: With respect to Mr. Pagliano or anyone who has been identified as a potential witness in any case, I'm not able to comment on
1: the specifics of that matter. Not able to comment, but we all know it's true. When you hear Donald Trump say, if Hillary Clinton is able to run, this is what he's talking about. The email scandal, the one that dates back to Benghazi, the one that ties into four dead Americans who died because of Hillary Clinton's negligence and who she then lied about their deaths and claimed it was the result of a YouTube video. The woman is not fit to be president. The woman does not deserve it. Canadians need to wake up about always backing the Democrat. We'll be talking more about U.S. politics after the 8 o'clock hour but up next we'll be talking about Justin Trudeau and his trip to Washington I'm Brian Lilly, this is Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRA Beyond the
0: News with Brian Lilly Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa.
1: You've heard the screams of the girl fans for the boy band known as Justin Trudeau and company. He's headed to Washington and all of Canada and America is a flutter. Warren Kinsella joins me now, the liberal prince of the dark arts. Warren? What's your How take you? on? Uh, I'm well. Thank you for joining. We've talked on the radio. We've talked on TV many times. Your first time on my new show here on CFRA. Thank you.
6: Congratulations, and I'm delighted. I'm delighted to join you.
1: So you've you've been down to Washington. Did you ever go on one of these state visits with uh, your old pal Johnny Kretchen?
6: I did the state dinner thing in Ottawa, but I never had the good fortune or the good luck to do it in DC. Um, so yeah, I, you know. I It's like a fancy meal and you shake some hands and pretty much that's it. Maybe you get your picture taken. And you hope it's better than rubber chicken. Yeah, it usually is. I mean, the one thing they, so they, you know, and they, you get to haul out your tux if you've got one or you rent one. And, but, uh, you know, as to whether anything's accomplished at these things, I I don't think anything's ever been accomplished at a state (laughs) dinner. So they're mainly for fun.
1: And so, you know, I don't expect anything accomplished at the state dinner. It's the bilaterals, the meetings alongside that I'm assuming are happening. And, um, you know, we're going to hear from Tony Clemente. I talked to him in the foyer of the House of Commons earlier today, and I'm going to bring everyone that conversation after we talk to you. Uh, Tony says, look, you know, it's great. Canada's getting a lot of attention, but these things, you know, we're talking about a lame duck president and a Congress that is against this president. Is he being cynical? Is he being partisan? Or is that, you know, pretty much a, a way to look at it and saying we can't expect a whole lot from Obama in his last few months in office?
6: Well, I kind of take what all of them say is kind of with a pinch of salt. I mean, if Tony's guy, if Mr. Harper, was still there, he'd be saying it's an important example of the bilateral relationship and the close relationship between President Obama, and Prime Minister Harper. So, you know, and so the Trudeau guys are going to say the same kind of stuff. The work which you put your finger on, you know, the bilateral stuff, to use that word, was really all probably done long before Trudeau arrived there today uh, in the form of exchanges and meetings and back and forth between the various uh, officials. And, you know, that is typically how things are done. The thing that I, that I think is noteworthy about this this particular get-together is I don't know what's on the agenda. Um, I can't, uh, I, you know, I've looked at some of the It should be softwood
1: lumber You'd for think. a start. You'd think.
6: But, I mean, the, really, you know, you guys like you and me, and I, I suspect a lot of other people aren't paying so much attention to the state dinner tonight. We're paying attention to what's happening between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump versus the world because those it's going to be one of those people that, that uh, Justin Trudeau is going to have to deal with, not not Barack Obama.
1: Well, let's talk about that. The president will change in November. Uh, There's going to be an election. The president's inaugurated in January. I know that. But effectively, the presidency changes by the end of this year. So having a great relationship with Obama. Hey, wonderful. Stephen Harper had a very Uh, I'm told very good, but a very transactional relationship. He wasn't buddies with Obama. He wasn't buddies with Bush. He wasn't like, um, you know, Krenshan used to go fishing and golfing with Bill Clinton. Uh, Brian Mulroney and uh, Ronald Reagan were, were close chums. That doesn't happen all the time between Canadian and American leaders. But does it help us having that kind of relationship even in these last few months?
6: Kretzian used to say to us, um, yeah, and it's true, all of that stuff you just said. You know, he and Clinton did have a good relationship. They love baseball. They talk about that. They talk about politics. I think they were closer than people realized. And the reason why Kretzian wouldn't advertise that as much, let's say as much as Mulroney did about his relationship with Ronald Reagan, you know, singing Irish Eyes or smiling together and all that stuff, is he said, you know, sometimes the Americans are going to screw you. Sometimes they're going to do something to you that's going to make people back home mad, and if you're seen as too close to them, you're going to be seen as being in their pocket. So, And that, that's certainly what happened to Mr. Mulroney more than once. So Kretzian was always careful about that, and I think that's what trio's guys have got to do tonight is not look like you know they're, they're well, kind of crazy-glued to Barack Obama.
1: You've got Jerry Butts out there on Twitter uh, wishing Bruce Heyman, the ambassador, A happy birthday, but calling him his buddy and saying, looking forward to celebrating your birthday with you on your native soil. That's, you know, I I think back to well, Twitter didn't exist when Gretchen was in power, but those types of comments would be seen as that getting too close under Gretchen would have been seen as getting too close under uh, Harper.
6: I mark my words and you you and I can have a whole separate discussion about this down the road. Social media was a big part of the reason why Justin Trudeau won, and social media is going to be a big part of the reason why some of these guys get into trouble down the road. Because they are revealing just too much of their inner thoughts on well, social media, and it's very dangerous.
1: I, I think that's happening with a lot of the uh, so-called journalists that are down there. I, I compared them to screaming girls at a One Direction concert earlier. Uh, <laughs>
6: You're dating yourself
1: there. <laughs> One Direction—it's the best. It was the best audio I could find to play on the radio of um, uh, of screaming girls. So I don't know who the girls scream for anymore. It's not just in Bieber anymore.
6: No, I don't think. Although you know, you are right because Lisa and I, my wife and I were in. L.A. a, a couple of years ago, and One Direction was in the same elevator as us, and I oh. think they they thought we were home monitors or something. <laughs> They're kind of looking. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it's you, you can't be a gushing fanboy, and um, the fact is, what you said at the outset is true. Barack Obama is going to be essentially powerless in a matter of months, and uh, why? And some would argue that's already taken place. So he needs to be looking at fostering a relationship with Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump or Ted Cruz, and all of those people are kind of otherwise occupied at the moment. So it's a nice trip. It's a lot of fun, probably not bad for a couple things, but in terms of the large larger picture, it doesn't amount to a whole bunch. i I,
1: you know, I got to say I love D.C. I've been down there. I've been down there to cover uh, prime ministerial visits. I've been down there to cover other political events. Being at the White House is something else uh, but yeah you you got to watch it so I, I want to ask you about the presidential candidates in a minute but quickly I want to ask you about Congress because a lot of Canada's issues with the United States tend to be around Congress but you've got what 600 members it's tough to to try and lobby all of them and
6: the the thing that a lot of Canadians don't uh, remember is some of the biggest problems we have are with Democratic congressmen and senators because they tend to come from states where protectionism um, matters a lot for votes.
1: Well, so you know, I think of the the softwood lumber. The last time that was a big thorn in our side, it was the old Klansman and Democratic Senator Robert Byrd.
6: Yeah, and so you've got these guys, we're, we, and, you know, you get in a lot of liberals and New Democrats assume that they're our natural allies, but that is not always the case. So, again, it all it's just yet more evidence of the need to, you know, what, what a Khalil Gibran used to say, let there be some spaces in your togetherness. Same thing here. you got to be careful not to get too close to the Americans because, you know, you're in bed with the elephant. They roll over and you get crunched.
1: Oh, man. I, you know, OK, I'm just watching on, on CTV News Channel Live Trudeau showing up in Washington. He's doing what you do with your tie. OK, and this is a pet peeve of mine, Warren. When you show up on TV or you're the prime minister, do your tie up all the way. Yeah, but he's you got know I don't as, know how
6: to do a proper
1: knot. You, no, you, yeah. you you do a schoolboy's cheater knot because you never <laughs> learned properly. You should have joined army cadets like I did. Uh, but but he's the prime minister and he's got that slightly askew schoolboy thing and the shirt undone. You're the prime minister. Uh, he was yeah. at a he was at a news conference a little while ago and I'm looking and thought, he didn't shave today. You're the prime minister. Shave, put your tie on properly. Um
6: well, he's the flavor of the moment, you know, he's got 60 minutes and all this other stuff. And the, you know, I guess I and, one and, and hand, you, you know
1: what? I love that. It's great. Use it to our advantage. I'm a little sure, disappointed with attention. some of the the insults directed towards Americans and there's one directed at Donald Trump. Trump could be president. He's not my choice, you know that, but you've got to be able to work with whoever wins, right?
6: And I'll give and I'll give Trudeau credit. He there were a number of US journalists who tried to suck him into answering hypotheticals about Trump and tried to get him to take shots at Trump and Trudeau just would not do it which yeah, but, actually but he did it
1: he did it in 60 minutes I didn't
7: see 60
8: minutes yeah, okay he, I didn't he, know that
1: he took well he said you know uh, asked about Syrian refugees he said we've got to be open uh, not building walls and oppressive policies and that that that's a not very well-veiled shot at Trump
6: that actually sounds like the Pope's talking points.
1: Yeah. But it,
6: but in terms of personalizing it, you know, going after the guy, as so many politicians have done around the world, including David Cameron and the Pope and so on and so forth, he, he just hasn't done that. And I think that's wise, because as we're seeing, as every day goes by increasingly, Donald Trump has a real and meaningful chance of achieving the presidency. So, you know, Trudeau is going to have to work with whoever is there, and I think it's smart for him not to, you know, get into that kind of fight. just Yeah, yet.
1: Well, especially with Trump and Clinton. And I'll talk to Tony Clement about this in a minute. Trump and Clinton both saying they want to rip up NAFTA. Ugh. It, it, you know. Anyway, we got to leave it there, Warren. Uh, we'll talk to Tony Clement about that. And then we're off to uh, a couple of American uh, political commentators. We'll get their thoughts. Thanks so much, my friend. Thanks, my friend. Warren Kinsella. Prince of the Dark Arts from the liberal side of the fence, but willing to join us here on News Talk 580 CFRA. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News.
0: You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
1: Well, we heard the liberal side of Justin Trudeau's trip to Washington. What about the conservative side? Earlier today, I was able to speak with Tony Clement, conservative MP, former cabinet minister, now critic in the foyer of the House of Commons. By the way, I've been tweeting out about this and sending out the, um, the live link. If you're on the Twitter machine, tweet it out as well. That way your friends see it, they come and join us. But I was able to talk to Tony Clement in the foyer of the House of Commons, get his viewpoint on it, and despite what you might think, He's not down on the whole trip, but he is trying to hold a realistic point of view rather than just going with all the fanboy, fangirl screaming that we're hearing. Here's my chat with Clement. So there is a lot of fanfare. There's a lot of media attention, both Canadian and American. But does that actually translate into anything
9: concrete for the Canadian government, for the Canadian people, for the Canadian economy? I think it'll be a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing. Uh, This is all going to be about uh, the sizzle this is all about uh, the Prime Minister wanting to have uh, something that looks good on television, quite frankly. But the fact of the matter is, uh, it's going to be 100% content free. Uh, the fact of the matter is, you're dealing with uh, a U.S. president that uh, is at the end of his administration, eight months to go, all of the attention of the U.S. media and really all of the entire political class is on the nomination fights that are going on. Not much business is going to be done, and certainly by an executive who's going to be leaving office in eight months. So uh, unless you've got Congress on your side, which President Obama does not, uh, all of these agreements, all, what you're going to get is strategies. We have a strategy for borders. We have a strategy for the environment. But strategies are a dime a dozen in Washington. And the fact of the matter is a whole lot of money and time and attention is being focused on something that will not produce anything meaningful for the Canadian people.
1: There's been a lot of play-up about how, well, President Obama and Prime Minister Trudeau are soulmates, and we know that there are people that came up from the Obama campaign to advise the Trudeau campaign, to work on the Trudeau campaign. But as you say, uh, Obama doesn't have Congress on his side. That's controlled by the Republicans. Do you think that Justin Trudeau is going to be able to make headway
9: with a Republican Congress in an election year? Uh, Absolutely, and more importantly, absolutely not and more importantly, President Obama will not make headway with uh, the House of Representatives or the U.S. Senate. The, 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 the die is cast. They are both Republican-controlled. Uh, they will, I think, my prediction is remain Republican-controlled after the election as well.
1: Regardless so, of who wins the presidency. of who,
9: w- who wins the presidency. So you're, you're dealing with a lame-duck situation. And for uh, Prime Minister Trudeau to put all of his eggs in the Obama basket... Uh, I think it's penny-wise and pound-foolish. Uh, it will not advance the interests of Canada. It will not help us in the next U.S. administration. And clearly there's going to be a change. doesn't matter whether it's Democratic or Republican. It'll be a brand-new administration. So uh, I think that uh, he is being very naive, or maybe he's being very calculated in putting forward a front of busy work activity, but the reality is nothing of consequence will occur.
1: Well, people will think, well, there's at least a good working relationship between Canada and the United States. Again, you've been at the cabinet table. You've been on these official trips. What was the relationship like between Prime Minister
9: Harper and and President Obama? Look, I'll I'll quote uh, the U.S. ambassador to Canada after Mr. Harper left office, so he didn't have to say something uh, just to impress the conservative government. Liberals were already in power. When I heard him say, before an audience of 500 people, you know, everybody's talking, he would say, and I'm paraphrasing, everyone's talking about Canada is back. He said Canada never never left. We, uh, we have such an important relationship that it, 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 we are always working together. We're always finding issues of uh, common concern where we work out solutions. That's the nature of the Canada-U.S. relationship. So while Prime Minister Trudeau may have a good personal relationship with the current occupant of the White House, who will be there for another eight months, that's it. Uh, Really, uh, what we have to concern ourselves with is the institutional relationship and, secondly, the relationship with Congress. And uh, that's going to be the thing that always drives these things uh, as much or more so in many cases than your relationship with the White House.
1: There are serious issues right now uh... that go well beyond the need for a strategy as you say yeah. softwood lumber we're out of an agreement we, we could start seeing uh, you know, the sorts of measures that we've witnessed in the past uh... Tr- attempts to block canadian wood uh, attempt to block canadian wood and paper products from the american market how do you deal with that in the current climate where you've got a a hostile um, hostile to the president uh, congress which is where trade is controlled, and a lame duck president. What can the Canadian government do? Because whether it's a Liberal or Canadian government, we have to get this
9: solved. You raise a good point, and uh, and we have always taken the position, when as Conservatives, when we were in power, even out of power. And I've been to Washington a couple of times since the election already. You have to. I know it, it's glamorous to have champagne at the White House and to have ballroom dresses and the glitziness of the White House, but the real work gets done at the congressional level. Have good relationships with members of Congress. Have good relationships with the U.S. Senators. They hold a lot of power. And by ignoring that, you put Canadian interests at risk. The two leading candidates for
1: the White House right now, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, you know, we could look to Ted Cruz or Bernie Sanders, but right now they're out in front. Both of them have said they'll tear up NAFTA. Both of them have come out against free trade agreements between Canada and the United States. We've heard that sort of rhetoric before in election years, but now we're hearing it from both sides. Do you think that's a concern, or is it just
9: political posturing that happens among all politicians in all campaigns? I'm not going to wade into the U.S. election cycle, where we're obviously keen observers as Canadians. Uh, we watch these things very closely. And my best advice to Prime Minister Trudeau is to don't, to resist that as well. Don't comment. Don't hint. Don't uh, express. Anything when it comes to the U.S. elections, it's not in our interest to be on one side or the other. We have to be able to work with whomever wins.
1: Well, well, then what? How, what do you make of his comments to 60 Minutes that aired Sunday night, where he talked about, uh, you know, we we want to be open and not build walls and have oppressive policies. That that was a direct shot at Trump, and then there was the shot at the the American people saying they don't know enough about the world.
9: I think uh, the, both of those comments were extremely ill-advised. Uh, And I don't think uh, Americans take kindly to uh, Canadians or others giving them advice on how to conduct their own public policy or how to conduct their own elections. So my advice, stay out of it, Justin. Stay out of it, Prime Minister Trudeau. It is not in our interest to pick a horse in this horse race. Let's wait for the results. The American people will have their say. And we have to advance our interests with whomever is in the White House. And we have to advance our interests with whoever gets elected to Congress as well. Right. Tony Clement, thanks so much. Thank you.
1: My conversation with Tony Clement earlier today in the foyer at the House of Commons. And speaking of whoever is in the White House or whomever is in the White House, could be news on that. Don't go away. We will have the latest for you on what's happening in the U.S. presidential race. Uh, my friend Caleb Howe who writes with Red State, with Truth Revolt, and elsewhere. The wise, the witty, the Caleb Howe will join us after the break with the latest. Don't go anywhere. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRA.
0: Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa.
1: Is the world, at least the Canadian world, looks at Justin Trudeau going to Washington? My question is, who's going to be occupying the White House after November? The primaries are still ongoing, and it's not as over as you might think. Caleb Howe is a senior writer with the American Spectator, a contributing editor at Red State, and um, writer with me at truthrevolt.org. Follows American politics very closely, knows his stuff, and joins me now on the line. Caleb, I want to ask you about what appears to be the beginning of a, a breaking news story, and that's even more media outlets reporting that Marco Rubio is being told by his backers to get out of the Republican race.
10: Yeah, that's right. That, <clears throat> that was uh, something that was reported a couple days ago on CNN. There was a big blow-up about that. Uh, Ted Cruz's campaign got pulled into the mix and uh, bashed for tweeting the article. And then uh, this morning, CBS reported essentially the same thing, and Fox News ran a video, posted the video online Charlie uh, Gasparino said he spoke directly with the donors who said they are pressuring him uh, to, to be out by by Friday afternoon.
1: Now, Charlie Gasparino's big deal on Fox News. He would have contact with, or on Fox Business, sorry. Uh, he would have contact with the type of people that would have the money to bankroll a presidential campaign. Would he not?
10: He would, yeah. They would, yes. Um, <clears throat> the, here, here's the thing that I think that, People are missing, and especially as you know at Truth to Gold, the people who are reading, uh, who are reading the uh, commenting on the articles there, maybe not, um, maybe not the best and brightest that uh, the internet has to offer. But uh, what Charlie Gasparino is saying is that the uh, the pressure coming on outside is being met against by uh, by Rubio himself. That Rubio is the one who is the resistor. He's the one that's. So when they say, well, Rubio has no intention of coming out, that's because that's what he's personally saying. That doesn't mean that the talks aren't going on. It doesn't mean that this, that Fox News or CNN have invented a fake story. These are talks that are going on. People what, are saying these
1: things. And one of the other people that has reported it for CBS is Major Garrett. This is a guy Major who – Major Garrett, that's right. I mean this is a guy who's been covering politics for a couple of decades now. I've seen him at the White House when I've been down for the press briefings. This guy is – immersed in this it you know it's like when i talk to contacts here on parliament hill he's got the good contacts so he would know what's going on so he he, has
10: always been he's always had his finger on the pulse he was the white house reporter forever uh he's he used to be a print reporter as well i don't know if you know that with national journal mm -hmm. um and uh if, if anybody has the contacts in dc and in new york uh to find out what's going on it's definitely major garrett and utterly trustworthy
1: and so, as you say, these are talks. So what's happening, and this is what you're writing about at Truth Revolt tonight, is that Rubio's being pressured. Doesn't mean right. he's going to get out, but he is being pressured to right, get out. I, right. I would say, given that he got what 5%, was it Mississippi or Michigan, he got 5% in last night, and, and then the other he did less than 10, he got less than 20% in all four primaries. That's I don't right. see why he would stay in.
10: Uh, Of the four last night, only two did he even break uh, double digits uh, percentage-wise, and one of those was only by, like, 0.1%. The other one, I think, was 13-point-something percent, in in none of them did he uh, get any delegates. Uh, Even Kasich got delegates last night, 17. So Marco was the only person who got no delegates at all, which is, of course, exactly what – is making his donors and backers, who all went all in, by the way, after uh, after Bush got out, as this is our guy, this is our, um, you know, more mainstream. Uh, I hate to say establishment, but the guy that the establishment is getting behind, um, that's that's the uh, basket they put their eggs in. Now, and when you show up with zero delegates,
1: they're going to push for you to to that's leave. right. So. Let me ask you this. Ted Cruz is not an establishment guy. And Marco Rubio, a little while ago, was not, but he ended up aligning with them. Right. If these guys that don't want Trump to come in end up leaving Rubio, pressuring him to drop out, they're saying, you know, you can stay in if you want, but your money's gone, and that's the lifeblood of any political campaign. Uh, If they turn around and they walk across the street to Cruz and say, we want to back you, does that hurt Cruz? Does that help Cruz? I mean— if they got all of Rubio's support, he'd be beating Donald Trump uh, in many, not all of these races, but in many of them. But would that taint of the establishment hurt him?
10: No, not at all. I don't think even a little bit. Um, First of all, Trump has already, uh, he's already made the overture to uh, to his followers. We need the establishment. I've seen a number of Trump, I call them Trump fan sites, but they're you know there are opinion blogs on the internet that that favor Trump for the presidency that have all written articles they've all posted articles today about how we need unity in the party we need to we need to embrace the people from the establishment because we need their votes and they're the people who listen to them we need their votes in November so they're already embracing the idea so first of all the groundwork has been laid and second of all it's just uh, – he's going to be called establishment by that type of voter no matter what happens. Everyone who isn't Trump is establishment.
1: Yeah, so wh- which is funny money. considering his viewpoints. on That's things. right.
10: Yeah, he, he could not be more establishment, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the money obviously outweighs any minor effect that, that being seen as associating with the establishment might
1: have. We got about a minute left, Caleb. I want to, sure. speaking with Caleb Howe, who is with the American Spectator, Truth, Revolt, and Red State, writes at a lot of places. Wise man to follow online if you want to know what's happening with American politics. I uh, want to ask you about see, the um, the issue of delegate count. By your calculation, is this race over or still wide open? I, I would say my look at the delegate count says there, it's not all, all over and all in for Trump yet. Your thoughts?
10: Agreed. Yeah, it's not all over. It's not. Yesterday was not good news for the anti-Trump people, but in the end, you know, because of momentum. But in the end, the shift was only 13 delegates. It was only 13 uh, positive shift in favor of Trump. So it really does come down to what we've been saying for weeks, which is what happens in Florida, what happens in Ohio. That's really what it comes down to. And you might think that's why Jeb Bush called that meeting today, which he had the private meeting with Kasich. Uh, rubio and ted cruz this afternoon
1: was he with them or with their uh, supporters and backers
10: it's it's still murky but but my feeling my sense is that they were all there in
8: person
1: wow caleb powell joining me from north carolina he is a writer with the american spectator red state and truthful thanks for uh, your time caleb Thank you. You can follow him online, at Caleb Howe. You can find the link to his Twitter page on mine. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRA.
0: He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580
1: CFRA. I told you that one of the things I want to do on this show is try and bring you the best interviews of the day from other programs and give you a shot at hearing them because you can't listen all day. Well, guess what? Today's best interview is me talking to someone. I'm being modest. I'm being modest. Or maybe I'm not. I was filling in for Rob Snow earlier today, so I got to sit in for four hours earlier. Now I'm in again. Uh, while I was there, I had a chance to talk with Benny Johnson about American politics again. Benny's on the road traveling with campaigns and took time out of his day to talk to me. This is a guy that's written for BuzzFeed, for The Blaze. Now he's with one of the fastest growing sites on the Internet. We had about an eight-minute chat. Enjoy. What do you think of of Bernie Beating Hillary last night. I love it when socialists beat each other up.
3: Well, I mean, Brian, you're in Canada, so you guys are familiar. <laughs> we have socialists everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's a fairly new thing in America to run as a socialist and to win huge, major Rust Belt, middle of the country states as a you know as an explained, avowed socialist.
1: That is a very new thing. There, your headline right now on. Uh, INJO.com is Americans delivered an earthquake result on Super Tuesday 2. One Republican was a clear loser. Who are you talking about there? Well,
3: Marco Rubio failed to uh, win any states, and he also failed to win delegates. There's a threshold in which you don't even receive delegates, um, and that happened to Marco in a handful of states. So uh, he has a pretty tough path forward.
1: I'm wondering, and, um, you know, Drudge Report had a headline up last night. Um, it was a takeoff. They called it his shrinking campaign, and then we've all seen the, uh, the tiny chair that Marco Rubio was in at one point. But they, they, they looked like they shrunk Marco down to, to make him look like a midget, mocking him. But he does have a, a shrinking campaign. He's got a shrinking path. I don't think he has any path to victory. Do you think he will actually get out before the Florida primary next week?
3: I don't think so. Based on the sources and people that I've talked to on his campaign, he is in it to to win Florida, very much like John Kasich has said he wants to win Ohio, his home state. Um, there is a, you know, there's a lot of election math who will go where what will happen. But based on every source that I have in the Marco campaign, he's not going to be he's not going to be dropping out. Uh, to You know, before Florida, and he's certainly not going to be dropping out. Um, you know, before the election actually happens in Florida, they say that they're pushing it all the way to the convention. We'll see that the, 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 the conversations this morning, of course, are about him joining up with Cruz, if he does make a move, uh, and together uniting that, that ticket and uh, going after Trump.
1: I was kind of hoping for Cruz Fiorina 2016. Uh, Fiorina came out and, and endorsed him. She was a flash in the pan for a little while before bowing out because she her flash was too early. Uh, does that make a difference, Fiorina endorsing Cruz?
3: Well, Fiorina had a uh, had an incredible uh, dagger to the heart moment against Donald Trump in an early debate, where Donald Trump had talked about her face. And imagine if you can uh, can you imagine that face being president? And Fiorina came back at him and just completely clobbered him over it. Um, and he had walked it back, and she said that women all around this country heard what you said, and they know what you mean. And so she can go in a very rarefied camp of being one of the few people who've come back at Donald Trump and won. Uh, now, of course, that didn't play out in the polls, and she dropped out after New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Um, however, she, has, she is you know, very intelligent, uh, very well-respected in the Republican Party. And her endorsing Cruz today is really going to buoy his his prospects among uh, what you could call uh, establishment Republicans. And, and Cruz uh, is
1: not on the establishment side.
8: He hasn't.
3: Well, been. yeah, right, right, and that's because it's it's very much not in vogue to be a part of the establishment. Of course, this year, which is uh, the running the running natural elements in this entire campaign on either side. Is that being a part of the establishment is a major issue, um, hence why we, you know, hence why we have uh, an old white Democrat eating, uh, you know, beating an old white socialist. Um, and <laughs> they are the that... party
1: of diversity, though. So, <laughs> I'm
3: speaking. I, I ran a poll. I ran a poll on Twitter, Brian. That yeah. was like which which old which old white person won the Democratic debate, um, and uh, and it was the older white person. So it was old white person or older white person.
1: Speaking with Benny Johnson, he's the creative director at Independent Journal Review, one of the fastest growing news websites on the interwebs for American politics. And, uh, Benny, uh, Trump is well ahead in delegate count, but not so far ahead that it's a foregone conclusion he's going to win. Um, Some people just talk as if it's a fait accompli. Yeah, Sorry, I'm I'm Canadian. I'm throwing in a little bit of French at you. But... (laughs) They're talking as if this is just going to happen, like Trump's already won. You look at the delegate count, there's 100 delegates between him and Ted Cruz. If Kasich and um, um, Rubio, sorry, I'm forgetting his name already, if they drop out, I think a a, a cage match between Cruz and Trump becomes very interesting.
3: And what a lot of people were saying on Twitter this morning is when Canada has to build a wall on your southern border. Will you make America pay for it uh, <laughs> under the Trump presidency? Uh, and,
1: that,
3: you know, this is, a, this, is a, this is a major foreign policy question that Americans are going to have to ask themselves. Uh, I did a listen, video for I, the
1: rebel uh, on that very topic because I'm tired of all you Americans threatening to move up here if your presidential candidate doesn't win. It's like, haven't we done And it's always crazy celebrities like Whoopi. Or Rosie. Uh, We already have Randy Quaid, who came here and declared that he was a refugee from Star Whackers in Hollywood. So uh, we're stuck with Randy Quaid. Haven't we done enough for you people?
3: (laughs) I mean, you guys are now led by a Disney prince. So, (laughs) you know, tell me we're any worse.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, no, it's not. And you get to have him this week in Washington. Are you in Washington or are you on the campaign trail?
3: Uh, uh, Traveling right now, currently on the trail, um, but I'll be back. I'll be back in Washington this week. There are Canadian flags. When I left, there were Canadian flags strung up all over the city, uh, which reminds me of what the city will look like under President Ted Cruz.
1: Oh, let me play. I just want to give you a, a sense of what our media, how our media coverage of the Disney Prince going to Washington for the state dinner is. Here's a little taste of it. Oh, yeah. You know it. Okay, that's actually a, that's actually girls outside of the One Direction hotel room a little while ago. But it's not dissimilar. Um, how's Trump, uh, we got about a minute left, how's Trump dealing with the media? Um, he seems to get very favorable coverage, even though sometimes he threatens to beat people up. Uh, is that because he threatens to beat people up or because he's good for ratings? What's going on?
3: I, I mean, does does he, does he get, does he get favorable coverage?
1: Outside of morning Joe? Is, yeah.
3: Yes, exactly. Is it, is it, you you know, is it a ratings situation and do people want to see it? Do people want to see the circus? And if Donald Trump has created one thing, it's the it created the reality television universe of American presidential coverage. It was, it was almost already there. He just pushed it over the ledge. And when you have, Last night is a perfect, perfect example, Brian. When you have him standing there with Trump wine, Trump steaks that weren't really Trump steaks, uh, and Trump bottled water, and CNN remains on this very rambling uh, stream-of-consciousness press conference he had last night where he's surrounded by raw steaks and wine. And they stayed on it for 48 minutes live. 48 minutes, Brian. 48 minutes of live Cnn coverage I can tell you as an advertiser what that costs I mean you're talking millions and millions and millions of dollars of live coverage yeah that they're that 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 they're giving to a a, a really poorly lit infomercial about raw steaks <laughs> and that I mean I get I I guess you just kind of shrug your shoulders and say that's that's the state of play
1: and and that's the state of ratings Benny Johnson thanks for joining us From American politics and the obsession of Justin Trudeau going to Washington to a moment of humanity in our own House of Commons, we'll bring you the audio of Marille Belanger taking the speaker's chair and the warm welcome extended to him by MPs of all parties. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRA.
0: On the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa.
1: Every time there's an election or there's political change happening, pollsters in this country will ask a a question that I find odd. It's which leader would you like to have a beer with? As if we would only like to have a beer with the leader that we support. I've been covering Parliament Hill full-time now for 11 years. And in that time, I've come to realize that I knew it before, but you get to see it firsthand that at the end of the day, we're all human up there. That was on full display earlier today for Muriel Boulanger. When I've been asked that question, by the way, about which leader you'd like to have a beer with, I would say all of them because they're all interesting people. And when you move around the MPs on the Hill, you end up finding out that there are people from different parties who are friends, just like the rest of us in regular life. There are new Democrats who are friends with conservatives and liberals that are friends with blockists and because on a personal level, they get alone. Maybe there's a local connection or They play sports together or they have something in their lives that connects them. But it does happen because at the end of the day, regardless of of our political policy differences, we are all human. We all struggle through this life hoping to do the best, sometimes succeeding, sometimes failing. We need to be able to look at each other that way. Whether we're talking about elected officials, you and I looking at elected officials, looking up at them, be they on the Hill or City Hall or Queen's Park, wherever, we need to be able to realize that they're just like us. They get up in the morning, they put their pants on one leg at a time. We need to get past constantly and reflexively hating each other just because we disagree on this policy or that. Never used to be like that in Canada. And I'm not going to sit here and say it's all liberals' fault, and if you tell me it's all conservatives' fault, I'll tell you you're wrong on that. There's something deeper than that. It's not just one party. Today, though, on Parliament Hill was one of those rare moments where all of that was put aside. All of it was put aside because a man who was first elected to the The House of Commons, in 1995, was granted a wish before he dies. Muriel Belanger, as you know, you've heard it all day on the radio, in the newscasts, he took over as speaker. I haven't had that many dealings with Muriel Belanger, and sometimes when I have had them, they haven't been pleasant. I can't say that I... I'm friends with the man, I can't say I'm enemies with the man. We've dealt with each other a few times. But I can say I would not wish ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, on anyone. And we can all look at what's happening with Meryl Belanger and how he is. As Jim Munson, the liberal senator, said this morning with Rob Snow on the morning rush, he is holding himself up with grace and dignity. He just powered through a a trip to Africa, probably his last overseas trip. Moreau Boulanger helped found the Canada-Africa Parliamentary uh, Exchange. Despite his increasing disability, his inability to speak, he powered through that trip. And today, with the aid of a walker, he did the Speaker's Parade. If you're ever on Parliament Hill around... Most days, it's just around 10 o'clock. On a Wednesday, it's at 2 because of caucus meetings. You'll get to see the Speaker's parade. It's a bit of pomp and circumstance that the House of Commons doesn't have to do, but it continues. It is tradition. The Speaker walks in, along with the usher, the black rod. The mace, which is the representation of power in Parliament, is carried in. It's placed on the clerk's table in front of the Speaker's chair, and the House of Commons is called to order. It's very dignified. I've watched it under several speakers. Today, Moreau Boulanger did that parade with the aid of a walker, and then he presided over question period using his tablet and I don't even know what to call it, but a bit of technology that let him speak. MP after MP during their members' statements, that's the time before questions are asked, Members of Parliament are allowed to stand up and, and make a statement. Quite often it's about something back home. Other times it's, uh, you know, they, they want to recognize the legion or they want to recognize a special person back home in the riding. Other times they use it to attack their opponents. But so many uh, MPs from all parties stood up today to pay tribute to Merle Belanger and the courage that he's shown in soldiering on. I want to play you the audio, and it's going to be tough to hear Belanger Talking through the device he's using. But there was a moment of unity, and we'll bring you the part where instead of asking, instead of Rana Ambrose asking Justin Trudeau a pointed question to try and make the government look bad, she joined with him, and he joined with her in calling for Canadians to give time, give treasure. To support research to help find a cure for this horrible
11: disease.
9: Mr. Speaker, let me start off by saying that you look great up there. Yay. And I have to remark that you've achieved in a very short period of time what many speakers dream of, which is a well behaved chamber. <laughs> I took the ice bucket challenge like many of my colleagues in this house and I still remember having that big ice bucket dumped on my head when I was health minister and combined with government funding that amazing challenge raised $20 million for research funding and $6 million for support programs but we can do more. So I'm asking the Prime Minister today to join me in asking Canadians from coast to coast to coast to support organizations that are fighting ALS and to find a cure for ALS.
8: (laughs) Mr. Speaker, it's a tremendous pleasure to uh, see you there today. Uh, I thank my uh, honourable colleague for her question and for her leadership, uh, uh, both as an individual and as a former health minister on this. Uh, And I salute you, as honourable member for Ottawa Vanier and Speaker, uh, for the dignity and grace that you bring to the House every day as you battle this terrible disease. us in this House. I uh, was pleased to take part in a number of ice bucket challenges, both as Dumpy and Dumper, Uh, and I was pleased to do my part uh, to help raise money in research and awareness uh, for ALS. Canadians pride themselves on looking out for one another, and I join the Leader of the Opposition in urging everyone to give your time and financial support to organizations that are working so hard to find a cure for this terrible disease.
12: the right honorable prime minister
1: now i wanted to leave that in we can fade that down i, I wanted to leave that in just fade it down a bit there thanks Stephen. um he was trying to call on Tom Mulcair. We 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 won't play uh, Mulcair, but Mulcair, the NDP leader, also stood up to pay tribute to uh, to Bélanger. Uh, but Bélanger did have a a, bit of a a struggle, I guess, hitting the right button to call on Mulcair, and people were cheering because he called Mulcair the Prime Minister. So he, uh, I believe, he laughed at that as well. At one point, as um, as the tributes were coming in, more than one point, as the tributes were coming in. Uh, you could see Maurille Belanger wiping his eyes, wiping the tears away. Going to ask you to take up what Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said, what Conservative Leader Rona Ambrose said, and consider making that donation. ALS.ca is the website. ALS.ca. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We'll continue with more. Maybe something a bit more upbeat after this. This is News Talk 580 CFRA.
0: You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580
1: CFRA. little happy mondays there in the intro music a little step on from happy mondays i love it but as i started out the show by pointing out i've been playing beatles music all day for one specific reason and that is the death of george martin the man behind so many beatles hits the man behind the sound that took them from four lads from liverpool that strum guitars to people that well, change changed the way music sounded.
2: I was alone, I took a ride, I didn't know what I would find There, another road where maybe I could see another kind of mind There, Ooh, and I suddenly see you, Ooh. Did I tell you I need you Every single day of my life You didn't run, you
1: didn't lie You knew I wanted just to hold you It's one of the things and that I'll be asking for me. your input on when we get into the feedback section of the show after the top of the hour is uh, your thoughts on music, the Beatles, so on and so forth. We can talk about politics as well, but maybe you'll want to talk about our next uh, subject which is a private member's bill from a liberal MP in Toronto the Guy's name is Nathaniel Erskine Smith and it's it's for the animals it's for the animals so who can be against that That's a little bit like saying it's it's for the kids so everybody loves things that are for the kids. everybody loves things that are for the animals right? So, Bill, C-246 is before the House of Commons right now, and reading from the summary on Legis Info, it says, This enactment amends the Criminal Code to consolidate and modernize various offenses against animals. The enactment amends the Fisheries Act to prohibit the practice of shark finning, and the Wild Animal and Plant Protection and Regulation of International and Interprovincial Trade Act to prohibit the importation of shark fins that are not attached to the rest of the shark carcasses. It also amends the Textile Labeling Act to modify requirements in respect to animal hair and fur and cat and dog skin hair and fur. It also amends the Canada Consumer Product Safety Act to add products made in whole or in part of dog or cat fur or skin in Schedule Two, so on and so forth. What I've read to you, most people would say, well, yeah, I mean, dog fur and cat fur and skin being sold? Yeah, shark finning. No, we don't like that. But I spoke with... Conservative MP Robert Sopak today. Now, this is a private member's bill. This is not the position of the government. And there will be liberals that will be against this bill. There will be conservatives that will be for it, probably. This is the way it's generally gone on, bills related to animal rights. But Sopak told me that this is one of the problems with this bill, that it will lead to a push for animal rights. And if you are a pet owner, think about this. If you're a pet owner... Do you own a dog? Do you own a cat? You won't if this bill passes. Are you a farmer? Do you own livestock? Well, you won't if this bill passes. Because while there's probably a lot of good in there, Sopak was telling me that there are also things that you need to worry about. What is it about Bill 246 that should leave well, not only farmers, but also pet owners worried? Everyone is in favor of making sure animals are protected, but you're saying this could leave people open to all kinds of prosecution.
13: Sure, sure it could. Right now, Canada has very good animal cruelty laws that prevent willful cruelty to uh, animals. What Nathaniel Erskine, Erskine Smith's bill, Bill C 246, does, it uh, really opens up uh, normal animal use activities to potential legal je- uh, jeopardy. In, in what way? Well, it changes uh, the definition of willful to neg- negligent. What that means is current laws prohibit willful cruelty to animals. Sometimes something happens to an animal because a person uh, forgets something, is negligent, or a commonly accepted practice goes awry because perhaps a gate wasn't closed, uh, for example. So all of a sudden, uh, new legal jeopardy is in place. Secondly, the bill purports to take animals out of the property section of of the law and put put animals into the criminal code out of the property section. That's the first step to giving animals rights, in my view. So if,
1: if they're into the criminal code, yeah, that, that does open the door to saying animals have rights, the same as humans. That has been a long-standing call from some activists. Um, does that leave you concerned not only as a, a pet owner or a farmer, but uh, what about hunters,
13: uh, fishermen? For for, for for sure. I mean, in my view, a person is known by the company that they keep. And one needs, needs only to look at those who are championing uh, Erskine Smith's bill. The Animal Alliance, for example, is against all animal use, want to see all animal use stopped, including medical research. I've had some discussions with the medical research community, and they have faced this kind of bill in the past and are now worried. And all of us are alive because of medical research, myself included. So anything that threatens Canada's world-class Medical research activities is something all Canadians need to worry about. There's been long
1: been a campaign against testing makeup and cosmetics on animals, and that, for the most part, doesn't happen anymore. Uh, I, I would argue that uh, medical research is a, a good sight more important than than testing whether lipstick uh, bothers someone. Um, Do you worry that this bill could pass with support from
13: mainly Liberal and New Democrat MPs? You know, uh, there are a number of Liberal MPs who I'm friends with. They represent hunting and trapping and angling, uh, farming uh, communities, and uh, they have expressed uh, grave concern about this particular bill as well. Getting back to the medical research, I, I met with the Heart and Stroke Foundation about something else, but I did bring this bill up, and I asked the researcher who was there uh, what percent of uh, heart and stroke research is done on a- animals. And right now it's about 60%. And heart disease is one of the leading killers of, uh, of citizens in this country. And that kind of research is absolutely vital to prolong all of our lives. And on a personal note, uh, Brian, I had a stent put in my heart in 2002. Very successful operation. Very common operation these-, these days. It's quite frankly no big deal anymore. But that surgical procedure was developed on animals. So again, this kind of bill, Erskine Smith's bill, it's not a game, it's not funny. It has some very serious downsides to it. All right, Bob Sopuk, thanks so much. My pleasure.
1: All right, uh, my conversation in the FOIA of the House comments earlier today with Robert Sopak, Conservative MP, and the point man on this file. He mentioned a group called the Animal Alliance of Canada. I'm going to bet that PETA supports this bill. I'll mention PETA, the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, in a minute, but... The Animal Alliance of Canada is one of these groups that claims farmers treat their animals horrendously. They try and paint, from what I read on their website, they paint farmers with a big, broad brush. If you are a pet owner, if you are a farmer, if you are a lover of animals, you shouldn't automatically think that this is a good bill. You should be concerned about this bill. Because while we love animals, animals do not have the same rights as humans. We cannot imbue animals with the same level of consciousness that humans have. Animals are not the same as we are, and to say otherwise would be foolish. But that's the path that the activist wants you to go down. I remember going to a PETA event and trying to ask the the people that wanted all the cows set free. That was their call. They wanted all the cows set free. They want all of us to be vegetarian, but they said, well, all the cows should be set free because they shouldn't be kept in farms. And I pointed out that cows were raised and bred to be farm animals, to be livestock. I said, what would happen to them if we just let them go? And it was the middle of winter here in eastern Ontario, and they said, well, they could just go and be wild. I said, where would they get food? Don't you realize that they would die in the snow? They had no clue. They'd never thought about it. I'm not saying that everyone that will back this bill is like that. I'm not saying that they're fools. I'm just saying, be careful. Just because someone says it's for the animals or it's for the kids, don't necessarily believe them. Do your own homework. Bill C-246. If you are a farmer, a hunter, a fisherman, a pet owner. This bill should be on your radar, and it's something that you should be concerned about. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
0: on the news with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa.
2: When I was born lived a man who sailed to sea and he told.
1: The waves. Everybody in sing along. Submarine. We all live. My dad had weird submarine. lyrics for this that I actually couldn't yellow say on submarine. air. Could not say them on air without getting we in trouble in at all.
2: Submarine.
1: Submarine. Welcome back to the show, Brian Lilly. Playing more Beatles music because George Martin died today at age 90. This man was not someone you would have expected. You read his biography, you would not have expected this guy to be the producer of the seminal if we can lower it just a little bit Stephen this guy was the producer of the seminal pop band of the 1960s Colin and argue with me if you believe otherwise but he was born in, in the 1920s he's years older than the Beatles years older then. Graduates from school and goes to work in BBC's classical music department. He did comedy records with Peter Sellers in the 1950s before he moved into doing other music, and then he gets put together with the Beatles. And that just changed everything, not only for him, not only for Parlophone, the, the label, the EMI label that signed the Beatles... But for all of us, without the Beatles, pop music just would not be the same. We all have something that connects us. And music's one of those things that can bring people together, people that you disagree with. I was speaking during my, my tribute to Meryl Boulanger ahead of playing the, the comments from Ron Ambrose and Justin Trudeau in the House of Commons. I was saying that we have to be able to look past each other as just political opponents. And music's one of those things that can bridge that gap. That and beer, wine, yeah, these sorts of things. I know that there are people that, um, some I know well, some I know through work, who disagree with me vehemently, almost violently disagree with me on politics. But we come together on Saturdays in the fall, and we congregate online around one thing, Notre Dame football because we're all fans of the fighting Irish. And we will be going at each other, hammer and tawn, on all kinds of other issues, and then suddenly, all right, it's football season. On that issue, we're the best of friends. We all have something like that, and I want to hear about yours tonight. Is there a Beatles song? Is there a Beatles moment that sticks out in your mind? Or Maybe for you it's somebody else. You know, I think of um, the Beatles are one of those uh, group bands that tra- uh, transcend ages, demographics, genres of music for people. There are others as well. I, I, other artists, I, I think of um, Johnny Cash. Who doesn't like Johnny Cash? Do you have a moment, an artist, a song, a memory in your life? related to that. If so, I want to hear about it. One of the things I said when uh, they asked me about doing this show was I said, can't just be about politics because there's more to life than politics. So I want to hear from you about the music or the event or the art in your life that drives you, that makes you say, you know what, there's something more to life. I disagree with my neighbor Bill on all of this, but we come together around the Senators, or we come together around our love of Rihanna. Are you a Rihanna fan? Probably not. We can't be at each other's throats all the time. Simply cannot happen. So what's your moment? What's your song? What is the thing that makes you say, yep, I'm on board with that. 521 talk, 521 8255 star 580 on Bell Mobility. If you want to send me an email, it is beyondthenews at CFRA.com. I actually can't check. As some of you have been emailing me at the rebel email right now. I can't check that right now. Uh, but beyondthenews at CFRA.com. Or if you're on the Twitter machine, it's easy at Brian Lilly. On Facebook, it is uh, facebook.com. Slash Brian Lilly. What's your moment? What's your song? By the way, I'm desperately trying to find out how many days until the uh the Notre Dame schedule or season kicks off. Um their first game is in Austin, Texas on Saturday, September third. There's normally a countdown clock on their website. I don't understand what's going on this year. Duncan in Ottawa.
14: Good evening, Brian. Well I, I like the Beatles for their for their versatility. I, I didn't necessarily enjoy um, um, e- every every song, but they influenced. I mean, just about every musical jo- genre. Mm-hmm. In in fact, they went. In, in fact, um, I you know I would say they went beyond the, the rock music. Um, the, 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 um, um, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, they were... Um,
1: but their music has been put to... Um, they used some orchestras in their pieces, but their their music has also been played by orchestras as well, Duncan.
14: Yeah, and I mean, everybody from Tony Bennett to... Uh, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> the Whistler and his dog have, have, have <laughs> you know... But I mean, they—you know—they've—they've they've had a—they've had a—I mean—they just had—they just had such a tremendous um, um, sort of influence on, on the on the uh, on the the, the 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 music scene. I grew up I grew up in that era. Um, I don't really I don't really care for the the. You know the, um, the, the the today's rock bands, mm-hmm. but the Beatles
1: were special. Well, if you grew up in that era, then I'm a bunch younger than you because I was born after they broke up, and still a big fan. And and I have to say, I don't know many people that can't hum a Beatles tune. Duncan, thanks for the call. Thank you. Want to hear your thoughts on George Martin passed away at ninety today. Want to hear what is it that connects you to other people that you, you know because we talk about politics all the time so what is it that connects you to other people you you wouldn't sit down with to discuss politics or that you better not for the sake of the family dinner talk politics with is it the beatles is there a Beatles song a Beatles memory is it johnny cash is it uh, you're all led zeppelin fans uh is it that you you all really dig justin timberlake because he's a young hep cat Give, him, give me a call. 521-TALK, 521-8255, Star 580 on Bell Mobility. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRA.
0: He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
1: I'm asking you about the Beatles. George Martin passed away at the age of 90 today. He was the man that helped give the Beatles so much of their sound. And I got to say, music is just one of those things for me. Music is one of those things that for many of us that brings back memories. It speaks to attachments. It is something that takes us beyond what we're normally comfortable with at times, or it brings us comfort. So I'm asking you if you've got, is it the Beatles for you? Is it somebody else that allows you to bridge the gap, that political gap that seems so wide in our culture today, especially if you're a politically involved person? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. I am not of the Beatles era, still a huge fan. If you listen to the music we intro the show with, I'm definitely not of the Beatles era. Peter, in Barhaven, you're on the program.
5: Oh, thanks for uh, having me on there, Brian. Yeah, um, I'm in my 52nd year of life, and uh, I love the Beatles, and I love them growing up. Uh, There's a few things it brings to mind uh, when I think of the Beatles, um... The first thing was how humorous a band they were. Um,
1: I, I love the, um, it's in one of their movies. I love the line where they're playing for the queen early on. And uh, John says, the people in the cheaper seats clap your hands. The rest of you just rattle your jewelry. <laughs>
5: yeah, they were uh, they were quite the cut-ups during uh, press conferences. And like their music... At least a third of all their songs have some humorous or cheeky undertone to it, you know. Yeah. And um, uh, one of their albums I love the best is the White Album. When I was sixteen, like lots of different people listen to music differently, you know. Some people I know people that don't like music, and it baffles me. But they, you know, it's just hardwired into you whatever you like and don't like.
8: Mm-hmm. But
5: um i'm a i'm a person who sits in a quiet room with a set of headphones on and listens to an entire album you know
1: i okay go ahead
5: i remember many times sitting in my basement with my headphones on listening to the entire white album from start to finish you know it just being filled with joy uh listening to that you know
1: yeah i you know what, I am I love the ability of things like iTunes or Google Play for you to be able to download a song in a second. When you hear something, you say, I need to have that. But the, the experience of sitting and listening through an album is probably fading away. It pro- It's probably been fading away for a long time.
5: Yeah, it really is. I, I'm the youngest of three kids, and that's kind of how my older brother introduced music to me was. You know, you got the new album from whatever band you liked and you put on side A and you listened to it and you flipped it over and put on side B. And <laughs> and I, that's how I'm conditioned to, like, I still, I listen to albums, you know?
1: I'll disagree with you on one thing, Peter, and that is I don't use the headphones. My cousin used to be in bands and he put out an album once, he and his buddies, and it said on the side of it, listen loud. Put on the speakers and listen loud. That's how I do it. Thanks well, a lot for the call. I
5: do always listen on headphones, but uh, <laughs> when your parents are trying to sleep and it's uh, 1.20 in the morning, you, you better put the headphones on.
1: Wise words. Thanks for the call. All right. Paul, is, is it the Paul? Hold on. Let me get this right. Is this Sir Paul McCartney calling in about the Beatles? No. I'm That's a, Paul. I'm a,
4: I'm a wannabe. How you doing? Doing well. Well, okay. Um, I don't know if we're getting into an age contest, but I was born in 1950. Um, so I had a chance to, by the way, I'm looking in front of me. I've got every Beatles vinyl album. Um, you talk about people that touch you musically. Um, a day before my birthday, a great musician passed away and Glenn Thrive from the Eagles.
1: Um, Absolutely.
4: I met, uh, I had a chance to see the Beatles live on three occasions. <clears throat> and I got to tell you, I had no idea what good music was from bad. So uh, the man in front of you was listening with the headphone on, each to their own. But I just listened, and I've got the speakers. I don't know if you remember 1967, Man in His World Expo? No.
1: no that, that, that was before I was born, Paul.
4: <laughs> no problem, buddy. In there, there was a place called Labyrinth. They had column speakers. Mm-hmm. And you could basically, if you turn it on in Montreal at high pitch you could blow the windows out of the Vatican.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. From Montreal.
4: A, a bit of exaggeration, obviously. So yeah. I listened to that, and <clears throat> I've, I've babied these vinyl records. And, you know, I've seen the Rolling Stones. I've seen quite a few groups. I even I've met Joe Cocker. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think, Brian, you hit the nail in the head. Um, the, the Beatles are the Beatles. And I think the best song, I'm a word guy. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think one of the best songs ever written, and I think he was a bit of a clairvoyant, was John Lennon's Imagine.
1: Not <clears throat> not my favorite by him, nor <clears throat> the Beatles. <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse
4: me. But I think kind of, in my opinion, and not just my opinion, is that looking forward, I think he was a little bit, he was a little bit of a prophetic, a little bit of prophecy. Imagine all the world. He was trying to make a statement. Yeah. Wait, uh, yeah, wait, I, wait.
1: I know what he was getting, going for, and, and there's a lot to recommend the song. It, it's just... Uh, I'd have to sit down and think about my favorite Lennon song right now. Right now, "Day in the Life" is is just constantly here. playing in my head yeah, and, and has the, been for a while. Thanks for the call, Paul.
4: And the other good song was rock and roll, rock yeah. and roll, rock and roll music. Have a good one.
1: <laughs> you too. Barb in Canada is calling in. Barb you says you're calling in about animal rights, but um, I'm going to make you answer a question about the Beatles before you talk.
12: Actually, I don't think you want to talk to me about music because I'm a Partridge family girl.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, can I sing a a Partridge family song right now? I like all music. (laughs)
12: Let's move on to animal rights.
1: (laughs) Okay, you got a minute. Go.
12: Uh, Just a quick question. If if animals are now going to fall under the criminal code, mm-hmm. um, does that mean if a dog mauls and kills another dog, it'll be charged with murder?
1: Or or what if it, it assaults you? Will it well, be? They, will they it already, face charges?
12: They already have the death penalty for that.
1: Yeah. Well, that that could change. under yeah. this. Oh, yeah. Due I mean, process. The, look, there there are reasons. When I say animals don't have rights and they're not like us, some people would. On, they might just reflexively say, well, how can you say that? Well, there's reasons, and you've got, to, you've got to think it through, you've got to hash it out. And you've just raised a couple of good points as to why.
12: And I'm a Partridge family fan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the call, Barb.
12: Good night.
1: All right, we'll go out with a little bit of Beatles music when we come back. More, uh, more of your calls, more of your thoughts. I'm asking you what you think about things like the Beatles music. What is it that bridges the gap between you and your friends that have different political views or what can bring you and your cousin, your lefty cousin together it is all in tribute to George Martin died today at the age of 90, a man that gave them so much of the sound.
0: The news with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
1: I'm talking about the Beatles right now because George Martin died, but I can go through all the different songs that you hear in the intros to this show. None of them go back to that era. That's Ellie King you're hearing right now, X's and O's, very current singer, very popular song. Um, Who else do you hear? You hear The New Radicals. You hear Luke Bryan, uh, country singer. You hear um, Stone Roses, Happy Mondays, uh, going back to the 90s. I love music of all kinds. I've actually made my kids study in the car. I've made them pay attention and study to songs like Pride by U2. It's just such a fantastic song and amazing lyrics and it touches me deeply in, in ways that few psalms do. So I'm asking you, what is it that touches you? Uh, is, there so, is there a Beatles memory, since we're talking about the Beatles and George Martin, who gave them so much of their sound having passed on? is there? It, maybe it's Johnny Cash. Maybe it's Ellie King. Maybe it's someone like, um, I know the ladies love Justin Timberlake, and I, I can't say that I blame them. He, the guy's a great singer. So I mean, I listen to all of these things, and and love all of this music. What about you? Five two one talk five two one eight two five five star five eighty on Bell Mobility. Ian in Osgood, you're on the program. Hello. I love your uh, new format. Sorry.
7: I love your new format. It's oh, thank me you. Feel like less an old grumpy man. At
1: 50. <laughs> 50. Well, I'm uh, I'm neither old nor grumpy. Um... I I would accept middle-aged, but since everyone keeps calling Justin Trudeau a young man, I will take that. We're almost exactly the same age.
7: Do I recall correctly uh, a couple weeks ago uh, you mentioned you grew up in Hamilton? Yeah. And uh, you're familiar with the Dick Van
1: Dyke? Absolutely. I I used to work with uh, one of them. I used to hang out with another one of them. Yeah, you're fading in and out there. Uh, the yeah. guys from the Forgotten Rebels, which was a punk band that I could never play any of their songs on this station or any other station that's commercially licensed in Canada. Um, DeSatis. Mickey Mickey DeSadis used to go by my neighbor's place, and um, I'm forgetting the, the guitarist's name. He used to go and give my neighbor guitar lessons, but Mickey DeSatis, would, who was a steel worker, that was his day job, yeah. he would show up and uh, and just hang out sometimes.
7: I can't can't imagine them lifting much, but anyway. um, I was just uh, hoping you'd appreciate The Clash as a meaningful band. They're nothing compared to The Beatles. I like The Beatles, but uh, in my early days,
1: uh, The the Clash Clash meant a lot. The Clash is by far the best punk band uh, ever. Uh, And they're also a band that, that, like The Beatles, started out with one sound, tried out different sounds... they helped um, popularize the reggae sounds. We hear Bob Marley on every radio station in Ottawa. Uh, but he's not my favorite reggae artist. But The Clash helped bring part of that sound to North American ears. Blue. So did John Lennon, by the way. Yeah. I'm not sure if you knew that, Ian. John Lennon brought
7: reggae? I have no idea.
1: It, John Lennon had heard reggae and uh, helped introduce some of the uh, reggae artists into the New York scene. And helped um, helped give it a push so even yeah. though he wasn't necessarily playing it he loved it and said you know what we gotta we gotta get guys hearing this music uh, like I said I don't think Bob Marley maybe I'm just worn out on him he's overplayed but he's um, in my view not the best reggae artist out there there's a lot of great stuff but all of that um, the clash was they they went through their their angry phase at the beginning of punk they went through uh, some reggae there's tinges of that on london calling i agree with rolling stone london calling was the best album of the 80s even though it was released in 19 it was good it was it was released in 1979 but it was the best album in the 80s yep yeah, absolutely. all right thanks for and, the call uh, my Mike, favorite, go ahead favorite, sorry can
7: i can i just make sure i my favorite story of music uh, bringing people together I went to McMaster and uh, went to move in with my roommate, and he was holding a, a mini bar fridge with beer and bacon. His dad was a salesman for Schneiders.
1: Oh, so you had, I you had, in had with a, a good and, you you had a good supply of bacon then?
7: Yeah, and I walked in with a Mohawk and multiple earrings, and this guy was from uh, Kitchener area, small but rural.
2: Mm-hmm. And him
7: and his dad just him and his dad just looked at me and went, "What the heck is going on here?" <laughs> And he, he said, do you want a beer? And I said, sure. And we've been best friends ever since. And he, brought, he opened my eyes, and I took him to Forgotten Rebels shows. And anyway, that's, that's my story. Music, can, uh, you, you can get along and uh, open other people's eyes to new styles, like we mentioned. Uh,
1: now, now I'm having memories of the Corktown and Bannisters. So which it, Bannisters, yeah. uh, back in the day, would have been <laughs> the equivalent of uh, Barrymore's here in Ottawa. Ian, thanks for the call. Uh, Unfortunately, Ian's line was a little broken up there, but um, happy to take your calls. 521-TALK, 521-8255-STAR-580 on Bell Mobility. Asking about your musical memories, your um, musical inspirations. What is it that that still touches you? As I said, today it's talking about the Beatles. We had somebody earlier mention the Eagles. I'm going to tie the Eagles with the Beatles because in would have been 87 or 88, still in high school. And I had a chance to go see Ringo Starr and his all-star band, which sounds horrendous. Ringo Starr leading a group of musicians. Ask anyone that has, he's done this tour a couple of times and all he does is get together some of his friends and they go on tour and they play each other's songs. So I got to see Ringo, I have never was able to see the Beatles live in concert. I've never seen Paul McCartney. Uh, was too young to ever see John Lennon perform live. Uh, can tell you exactly where I was when I heard that he died, but um, never got to see him live. So Ringo Starr brings his all-star band to Exhibition Stadium in Toronto. And myself... Uh, a friend that um, I, I'd known since kindergarten and a couple of others, and these were guys even who was mentioning this punk band, uh, the Forgotten Rebels. These guys used to hang out with the Forgotten Rebels, but they were still into, into the Beatles and everything else. So we went to go see Ringo Starr, and he brought along with him Levon Helm of the band. If you like um, Take a Weight Off Annie, if you like that song, that's Levon Helm. He was the only Southern member of the band. The rest were all from the Hamilton area, from Brantford, from Oshweken, the the Mohawk Reserve out there, from that area. They had been the backing band for Ronnie Hawkins. Levon Helm was the only Southern member. So he played drums. Uh, Billy Preston was on piano. Joe Walsh, who played with the Eagles at one point, he was on guitar. I'm trying to remember who else was there but just the most amazing lineup, and they just rotated through these professional musicians, these guys that had made their living for decades, just before the strangest collection of fans you've ever seen, because it wasn't people coming out to hear one band. It wasn't people coming out to hear this particular artist. It was, hey, that sounds kind of neat. We're all sitting in Exhibition Stadium. At one point, Ringo Starr actually admonished the audience for sitting in the seats. He said, I've never in my life seen an audience at a a rock concert uh, sit in the seats they paid for. Get up, he said. So we did. And uh, just fantastic for the entire night. He's done this several times. He did it recently. He may do it again, even though he's uh, well into his 70s now. But if you get a chance, do check it out. Ringo Starr and his all-star band. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We'll continue to take your calls if you've got thoughts. If not, I'm just going to keep rambling to the top of the hour. 521 Talk, 521 8255 Star 580 on Bell Mobility.
0: Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
1: It's a little song called Pumped Up Kicks by Foster the People. A little more recent than the Beatles as well. But we're talking music. Um, Not everyone's a fan of this. Uh, Owen wrote in to say, Congratulations, Brian, you've now surpassed all Bell Media expectations for boring radio content. Nobody cares about American politics or what Justin is having for supper. But he's still listening because he just wrote to me again and said, Brian, maybe I'm mistaken, but I believe he is... Sir George Martin. I'm talking about all kinds of music tonight because it is one of the things that brings people together. It's one of the things that gives us joy in life. I was saying that I made my kids study U2's Pride in the Name of Love because it's a song, its lyrics are, they're not just, hey, I want to hold your hand. It's a great Beatles song, it's fun, and there's there's a lot of great pop songs that don't mean anything, but this is one that talks about Martin Luther King Jr. It talks about Jesus. It talks about being betrayed with a kiss. It talks about love. It talks about not giving up. All of that in a pop song. I don't know if you've ever seen the, the movie Music and Lyrics. Um, it's a fun little rom-com with Hugh Grant and Drew Barrymore. And she wants to be a writer... And he's a faded pop star. But he talks to her about what a song can do for you. What a song can do for any one of us. And that's what I'm asking you. Still have time to take some calls. 521 Talk, 521 8255 or Star 580 on Bell Mobility. Beautiful. Seen you two a couple times in concert. Can't recommend it enough. Jo- uh, Jim in Ottawa. Jim, you're on the Hi, Ryan, program. How are you? I'm well.
11: I, I love the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank I am you. enjoying I... your talking about American politics and uh, uh, Justin Trudeau, etc. But, but, uh, but you got to lighten yeah, it I... up
1: sometimes.
11: Yeah, it's uh, great. And music, uh, yeah, it does bring people together. I, I make my little kids uh, learn Canadian geography by making them listen to uh, Stopping Tom Connors.
8: <laughs> and, you uh, could.
11: He's got a song called Name the Capitals, which names – and then my uh, six-year-old knows every every provincial capital in the country, so uh, – Oh, wonderful. And stuff like that, so uh, but uh, – you, you got to calling... show
1: them the Animaniacs song, too, though, where they go around the world and name all the countries in a song because kids get addicted to doing that one.
11: Well, oh, I don't know that one. I'll do that one. Yeah,
1: you. you'll look up uh, Animaniacs Countries of the World in YouTube, and you'll laugh your head off. It's a, it's a cartoon from the 90s, bit of a cult following – Great. And uh, but uh, very funny. It's, it's aimed more at adults, but the songs are always very good for kids.
11: So Actually, I was just showing my kids another video by uh, They Might Be Giants called uh, "The Elements." And it's all about the uh, periodic table. Yep. So my six-year-old again was knows that uh, Au is gold and Fe is iron and stuff. All from uh, They Might Be Giants, but um, but it's not
1: Constantinople. Your favorite right. <laughs> music, my friend.
11: Um, but uh, I do, I, I was actually calling to support the band as well. I, uh, I'm a little bit older than you, I'm 50, but uh, I, when I went away to university, I, uh, I was a huge fan of Bob Dylan. I even I uh, really liked actually his Christian music. And when I got there, my roommate uh, put on uh, the basement tapes. And I had never heard that before. And uh, it was, of course, Bob Dylan and the band. And it was, uh, you know, rather a strange album. But uh, I then fell in love with... Uh, with the band being Bob Dylan's backup band, and mm-hmm. uh, the guys from uh, you, you didn't mention there, you know, uh, that like Danko was from uh, from Simcoe, Ontario, yeah, Simcoe, so, Brantford,
1: Oshweekend, that's right, yeah, that's all right. all these so, areas down in southern Ontario,
11: a lot better than picking picking tobacco, I guess,
1: yeah, well, I mean, and, they, so uh, they yeah, backed,
11: I'm a, so I'm a huge fan of, of, uh, of the band, and uh, and of course, Bob Dylan, and uh. Uh, Bruce Springsteen back more so in the in the 70s, but uh, I don't like his politics these days. But uh, so yeah, I think music really did. Uh, my, my roommate and I are still great friends, uh, and I still remember the time that he literally dropped uh, the uh, that LP on me and uh, let me listen to uh, um, the, uh, listen to the basement tapes with Bob Dylan and the band.
1: Do you and, remember uh, what your first big concert was?
11: My first big concert was um I think I, I went to see the police at exhibition stadium in Toronto
1: oh was that for one of the infamous police picnics that I missed out yeah, on? That's right oh, and, I'm uh, jealous
11: it was uh I can't even remember who else played there, but that was a uh, it was a huge crowd like ninety thousand or some some crazy number but uh, those yeah, concerts I, I... were
1: legend wait for it dairy. <laughs>
11: Yeah. So and uh, it was it was great. Those those were great memories of the of the nice fresh air coming off of Lake Ontario on a hot summer night, uh, listening listening to the police. So, but, uh, but I'll give
1: you this for a lineup: my first yep. big concert, August 1987, David Bowie, on the Glass Spider tour. A band named Duran Duran opened up for him, and they coming had an. Summer. They, they 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 were on their second attempt at being up-and-comers. They'd been huge and then faded and were trying to come back. Right. And then there was this group called the Northern Pikes, which became big. Nobody had heard of them at that point. They became big uh, on the Canadian scene for a little she while. actually. pretty
11: after much that. looks that way?
1: Yep. Yeah, that, that would be I'm, the I'm band.
11: Like, great. Well, Thank, I, I, I agree. It's a great show. Thank you very much for uh, talking about music. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks for the call, Jim.
11: Have a good night.
1: You too. Frank in Pien. Let me work these phone lines right. Frank. How are you tonight? I'm I, I'm having fun. I'm playing music and talking music, and uh, and and not just about the menu that uh, they're going to have at the White House. So
12: right. anyway, any yeah, talking about music is always it's always it's always a great topic, and I think if somebody like you said earlier, like it engages everybody, right? Because mm-hmm. something we all have in common. I just sort of growing up. I'm in my early fifties. Growing up, my brother and I, who's a year older than I. Uh, we sort of – we were sort of not only – did I have, did I not have – we didn't have any older influences because we didn't have older cousins or older friends in the neighborhood. It was just the two of us sort of like we hung out in the same room at night, like we slept in the same – shared a bedroom. And then we uh, – so we kind of got to discover music that was our own music as opposed to listening to, uh, you know, like your older brother's uh, – progressive rock or Pink Floyd, so we never got into any of that early 70s kind of progressive rock music when we were old enough to start discovering music. I remember the two of us sitting watching the Midnight Special, and then all of a sudden Blondie came on, and it was all, you know, we all of a sudden looked at each other and went, what the hell is this? Like, we sort of went But did
6: you like it?
12: Yeah. It was kind of like, we went from listening to Bobby Sherman and the Partridge family, to all of a sudden, (laughs) wow, like, there's this whole other music that's kind of loud and raunchy, and I remember her saying one way or another in a black dress and going like in a ripped black dress, going like, This is really kind of speaking to my thirteen year old teen angst. You
1: know what I mean? <laughs> teen angst or something else, Frank. Well,
12: and, you know, that as well, but <laughs> but then all of a sudden you start to discover this other music, right? That was that with that and I think it was because it was because we didn't have older cousins or friends or or older or older siblings to ensure, you know, to make to let us that forced us to listen to Pink Floyd and what 17- and 18-year-olds were listening to at that time, we got to discover what was coming next. And that was kind of, kind of fun, you know, to be able to do that because, cause like, we were 13 and we got to figure out what this is what yeah. means to us.
1: No, I, I hear what you're saying. I did have an older brother. He's three years older than me, and uh, he's an idiot savant when it comes to music. He, he's DJed uh, in clubs. He's DJed around the world on cruise ships. Uh, and an encyclopedic knowledge of music that puts me to shame, uh, but you know we would uh, explore music together and go to concerts together. So right. just after that um, that '87 concert I mentioned with Bowie, I, I went and saw U two with them. And, right. Uh, do you remember your first big concert?
12: Well, my first big concert, I didn't. I, only, I got to go to it because it was Sticks, and I got to go because my brother, who's I said a year older, he got to go to he got to go see Queen within a Night at the Opera tour. The week before and the next concert, my mom wouldn't let me go to that one. But she let me go to Sticks. I hated Sticks, I still do. <laughs> but it was the one I was allowed to go to. But I do have a good concert story. My sure. first year, second year of university, James Brown was playing at Barrymore's. And a friend of what? mine got to – yeah, James Brown was playing at Barrymore's. 1981, 82, somewhere in there.
1: Oh, man. I
12: know. And I was sitting there. I had to write an algebra. We got tickets. And then – but my friend of mine, he only got tickets for the – he had two shows, one at seven and one at eleven, and he only got tickets for the seven o'clock show. And I had an algebra midterm between six and eight o'clock, so I was sitting there at about six o'clock, six thirty. I'm looking at the paper, and I'm looking at my friend standing outside the door, and I'm thinking, I can take algebra next year. I'll never get. To see, I'll never get to see James Brown again. So I handed him the paper and I left to go watch the concert.
1: You know what, from and an academic it. It standpoint. Uh, bad choice, but from a, a life standpoint, probably the right one, Frank. Hey,
12: they did. They offered algebra next semester. I had no problem taking it next uh,
1: semester. I, I remember the, <laughs> the Who coming around on one of their farewell tours. I think it was in grade 12 and uh, in in 89, and half the class was going, and we had a math exam. We tried to convince the teacher to move the math exam because, quite literally, half the class— was taking the go train or go bus into toronto to see the who play they wouldn't move it oh geez but so we all went we got in really late and we're very tired for the exam but like you and your james brown story so worth it
12: and where you you're you're where you should be right now so it was more than worth it
1: right all right thanks for the call frank have a
12: good night bye-bye
1: thanks to all of you for your call tonight and your emails including those of you telling me how boring i am we'll be back at this tomorrow night a little bit of JT, the other JT, to play us out this is beyond the news. I'm Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.